everybody. Welcome back to Simply Soccer. I am your host, Michelle Hutink, and joining me all the way from Amsterdam is ACB Chris Conway. Bonjour. I don't know how to say hello in Dutch, so you're getting the French. It's actually dach. It's okay. dach. Um, <laughs> just because, yeah, I know that because uh, I, uh, my last name's Hooting, so it's a Dutch last name. My dad is actually go. from there, <laughs> born and raised. And so, um, yeah, I was there in September and I miss it and I'm jealous that you're over there, but oh. it is. Thank you so much again for joining us. Um, we got such positive feedback when you were on last time. And uh, yeah, we are here to give people what they want, which is soccer, simply soccer. So, um, we're gonna, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna jump right in. Unfortunately, um, we'll start. Oh, yeah, no, go for it. Unfortunately, the news cycle uh, recently has told a lot of people to, uh, that it's not just simply soccer anymore. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, that's what I try to keep it <laughs> anyway. I'm more than happy to keep uh, it there. I know, right? So simply, let's talk about uh, the Gold Cup group stage. And literally, for everybody, my notes say meh, because the U.S. men are expect were expected to break out of their group, to be honest, and that they are top of the group. It's kind of funny how these very basic standards are now like like what we're praising them for. <laughs> well. I mean, it was a very, it was an interesting group stage because Trinidad and Tobago was thrown into the whole entire mix, right? And that was right. the story going through this group stage group or this gold uh, this gold cup group stage, which was that well, we played Trinidad and Tobago. It's revenge game. It's all this other thing, and I think I, it's weird the gold cup now, right? Because if you look at the Mexico team that was sent to this gold cup. Mm-hmm. A lot of the the players that make Mexico Mexico right now weren't on that roster. Tata Martino is doing kind of a interesting job where he's trying to figure out where maybe his 12 through 24 exists rather than his necessarily starting 11. You look at a U.S. team that is going through a incredibly intense stylistic change in terms of moving over to what they're now calling bear halter ball or whatever. And so I think it's a, and then, I mean, we're also looking at the rise of Canada as a team in this region where we need to start paying attention. And then if you look at the stories in this gold cup already, I mean, Curacao, et cetera, like, I think this is going to be a gold cup where we're going to look at the little guy and maybe we're going to have a winner from one of the quote unquote little guys in the Federation, because I mean, the United States squad rotated very aggressively against Panama as is kind of tradition, six points. You got to get some players, some reps. The U S did that. They just, I think it's going to be very interesting to see bear halter get into situations where bear halter ball isn't necessarily the way that you win a game. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how is it going to be uncompromising in terms of like, this is the way we play. This is the way we do things. Or is it going to be, I need to be able to adapt. And that's kind of what I'm going to be watching for in these knockout rounds personally. Yeah, and, you know, Jordan Morris assisting, um, I'm glad he's back, but it's also, I don't really feel like until Panama we were really challenged. I mean, we mowed over 
uh, Trinidad and Tobago, like you said. And a lot of people were saying, yeah, that is revenge because they knocked us out of qualifying. They played uh, two bad teams to start the group stage. I mean, yeah, they played yeah. two bad teams to start the group stage. And then the Panama game, everyone's going to point to that and say, oh, it was the first test. Panama squad rotated. We squad rotated. Like it's, we don't know anything yet. I think. Exactly. I completely agree. I mean, Ariola is shining, um, as, as he would, right. Um, they, they take too long to score. Uh, and that was seen even in this last match. I mean, you know, and it was, and it took Josie Altador to score a bicycle. And that was honestly Panama's fault for leaving it wide open for him to do that. I mean, but that's what Josie does. I mean, Josie is <laughs> Josie is unfortunately kind of maligned, I think, in a lot of U.S. soccer circles. But I mean, the guy is a consummate competitor. He's a fantastic goal scorer. I mean, mm-hmm. the dude put up something like, what, 25, 27 goals in an Eredivisie season with Azed Alkmaar. Um, I mean, the guy can score. And that's what he's kind of done on every major stage. And yeah, we could look at the Panama game and say, we, we only scored one, but we won one nil three points is three points. And these kind yeah. of tournaments, it's those kind of survive and advance moments that actually do matter. Um, I just, uh, I don't know what you can take from the gold cup nowadays in terms of how it's been incredibly devalued. And I think that's a concern if you're a U.S. soccer fan right now. Absolutely. It really has. Um, I have international students and, you know, I tell them, Hey guys, you know, tonight, you know, there's democratic debates going on and, you know, there's a gold cup and they're just like the what? And I understand, you know, when they're from Europe and, you know, same thing, I don't know everything about all of their leagues and cups and what's going on and whatever. But, um, when I, you know, when they mention us soccer, they still kind of give me that look, that look of you guys are not good. <laughs> and sometimes they'll even voice that. And I'm just like, listen, we won the cup in 2017. We're trying to defend it. Like we're trying to grow this. This is how that happens. But it, you're right. Like it's hard to assess. It's hard to look at and to be able to know, like to be confident going into these group stages, like the chances of us winning, I mean, breaking out of the group stages, but going on to the knockout rounds, excuse me. In terms of valuing the gold cup, is that not the own victim of what CONCACAF has done in terms of the fact where it's like almost, or it's, it's the, they have the, the qualifying for the Confederations cup, which is not long for this world, according to FIFA, uh, an expanded world cup slash club world cup things, which is Mm. another conversation for another day. But isn't it its own prog or like didn't kind of CONCACAF shoot the gold cup in the foot where they said, okay, if you win one year, you have to play the winner of next year's gold cup in order to qualify for the confederations cup rather than make it a tournament where it's like the same schedule as the euros or the same schedule as whatever in order to at mm-hmm. least build some kind of excitement towards it. Like, I mean, I just, the way the gold cup has been run for so many years just fascinates me to a certain extent, but also just every single time I, I see it run, I'm, I'm mystified in a way that I shouldn't be mystified is what kind of it gets at. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course like Pulis just does his thing and, and scores as well. And so, it kind of, I mean, and we're going to talk about the galaxy a little bit next, but it, it does kind of remind me a bit, this, this team, oh my God, I'm, I can just hear like people's responses to that, but listen, hear me out. So it's just because, hey, Twitter, it, you know, Twitter that mentions it, are good. <laughs> Traffic I know, right. Good. <laughs> but everybody, everybody on the team, 
is talented, you know, but I feel like they are playing individually. You know that Josie Altador is going to score. You know Pulisic is going to score. You know, these are the guys that you are trying to, like, cross the balls to. And, and honestly, like, the game against Panama was very much they were crossing the way that the Galaxy just crossed. And it's like, yeah, but you don't have a slot on the pitch. And I have to say, like, that bicycle kick that Josie did really did kind of, like, reflect for me that late goal uh, um, when Zlatan did the bicycle against, against New England. England, yeah. Yes, but, but it's just like, I mean, they're different, obviously, but but it was just very reminiscent of that. I mean, this was a better result than that than that game against New England, but... So here's what I get at in terms of Bearhalter ball and why I think we're the growing pains are going to be extended over a year or two is because Greg Berhalter called into camp in January. He called in a pretty much a very similar camp in March for this release as well. And basically Berhalter insisted. He was like, we were teaching people the way that we want to play. Like it's, it's Berhalter ball. I am. I have the whiteboards out. I have like, I sent everyone film with like me talking over it. I mean, Bearhalter's got all the charisma of a wet paper towel, so I can't imagine watching one of those tapes for two hours. Um, but, like, so then he calls in this camp where a quarter of the players have never been around Bearhalter ball on the national team setup. Mm-hmm. So then we get this weird influx of players that want to play his style, and this other influx of players in the starting 11 that just through no fault of their own, have no idea what's going on. Right? right. And so it creates this weird hybrid fusion that I think, uh, I mean, I understand why I, I, this gold cup, I think I don't want to say that the United States walked into this gold cup with no ambition to win it. Cause I think they definitely do. I think mm-hmm. the U S walked in this gold cup, looking at it much more as a teaching moment than a, we have to prove to the world that we've got it figured out. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think that's kind of where, where we sit right now and it. It's going to, I mean, it's a process, you know, and that I'm okay with that, but I, I think we, we, especially as us fans live in a results based kind of world. And I think with a national team, having a results based mindset for a national team is, is it will, it will, it will drive you insane. It will. It will. So, which uh, to moving on. Conversation this evening. <laughs> I know, right? I know, that. you know, but I do have a lot of fun talking to our friend Jamie and to other friends, to, uh, you know, AO supporters, particularly uh, about about what's going on. Like, you know, that's the whole thing about being in the soccer fam is is that we can support each other. We're all in this together, um, you know, and, and it makes for lots of conversation. So, um, definitely, definitely. I mean, my whole thing was you know, let's, let's try to enjoy the win for, for what it is, for what we can. Um, because I did see like so many people down on the U S team and I don't blame them at all. Like I get it. I get where the negativity is coming from, but it's like, okay, but you know, let's, let's try to have a little faith here moving, moving forward. That's at least that's where I try to come through. That's what I've been trying to do. And then of course I feel like, you know, when they, when they do let us down, I'm just like, ah, Okay, I vouched for this team. <laughs> completely agreed. Completely agreed. Yeah. All right. So speaking of moving on, LA Galaxy. Um, before we preview against San Jose, um, I want to talk real quick about 
the U.S. Open Cup and how it really wasn't taken seriously, not just because of who we sent out that game for Portland, um, but just I just didn't feel like there was that, that urgency to win it because I really thought that if we take this seriously, we're going to be contenders for the MLS Cup. Like, I really, I really feel that. And, you know, I didn't think that we would go and win the Open Cup, but I, I thought that we'd do better. I mean, that first game I thought was fantastic. Of course, Efron Alvarez is always amazing. Fabio, always amazing. Um, yeah, and so any I other mean, thoughts on <laughs> weren't, weren't these the kind of tournaments that you brought Dennis Tecosa in for? Wasn't that what yeah. we heard? Wasn't Dennis and Guillermo basically saying we take everything seriously. We take every match we play seriously. And I get like, again, it's, it's the reality of kind of a closed financial league that we live in where there's salary caps and you can't play, you, you know, you have to be very careful about the way you manage your roster. And like, unfortunately there's triage of competitions. We've seen teams do it every year, but at the same time, like when you're coming in saying, Oh, we're going to be competitive on all fronts and that's our intention. And guys like Dennis Closa are giving personal interviews saying, Oh, we intend to win the U S open cup because it's the easiest way to conquer cap champions league. And then you yeah. go out in Portland and you throw that out there. It, it doesn't sit right with me in a lot of, on a lot of levels, but I mean, it's a, I, I, I'm trying to catch in this reality of, of MLS and whatnot, but at the same time, it just, it does not sit right where there's other clubs that are clearly, you know, giving every competition it's due and their rosters seem ready for it. Their rosters seem up for it. And we're just not there yet as far as I'm concerned. So I agree. I know, and I, the summer window is, is coming and everybody's talking about, well, where's that 13? DP going to come in, you know, what were you going to say before that? But it, it, it's just weird that like for all the bluster that Dennis Closa, especially himself offered up about the U S open cup to not be on the same page. I think with GBS in terms of the way that they were looking at it, it's, I'm sure it's, I'm trying to be patient. And it's really difficult yeah, as a Galaxy fan. But I think it's yeah. it's just got to be a question moving forward. Absolutely. I mean, it was crazy because, you know, at what I liked about Open Cup, you, you know, it's played on the track and field. And so, you, you know, you're really accessible there with the players. And, and like you said, DTK came by us and, and you know, the people said, and they talked to him like directly, like we were standing right there. And he said that, yeah, we, you know, we're in it to win it and they're going to be bringing people in. And, you know, I mean, not to like misquote him or anything or like, but, but we did have like a lot of, a lot of faith going into this and especially that, that first game. Um, it honestly, I, I really don't know who, I mean, I still feel like it's anybody's cup at this point. Um, but I feel like Portland is, like trying to come back and, and, and go for it and get that and get the MLS cup. Um, in terms of U S open cup, I mean, it's, it's a wide open field. I mean, LAFC versus Portland in the semifinal or, or it was the semifinal, I believe. Yes. I've been yeah. out for, I've been out for a month. So, um, yes, <laughs> that's going to be a fantastic game considering the earlier game they played this season was, I mean, the two games they played already this season were high intensity, just very much, in your face matchups. Um, 
But again, it's one of the things where the U S open cup, a lot of the competitions that we look at are kind of becoming devalued in a lot of senses because if you're MLS making a run in the open cup is a bit exhausting to your roster. And so that's why certain teams, yeah. not just us. And I mean, I, I, when I say certain teams, I, I don't mean the galaxy necessarily kind of look mm-hmm. at the open cup as a mm-hmm. bit of a nuisance and like a bit of a, Oh, well we'll give the youth teams, you know, a run out and we'll give, you know, valuable minutes to the younger kids. So I think it's, 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 U.S. Open Cup is just a very interesting kind of conversation. Um, but I think a lot of teams in this league, a lot of the elite teams in this league, look at MLS Cup and making playoffs as much more important than necessarily winning a U.S. Open Cup. And until all, what are we now, 24 teams in MLS kind of look at it yeah. the same way as, as the teams in USL and or NASL, USL Pro, um, all the, the the amateur leagues that I cannot remember the uh, acronyms for until MLS team, all 24 teams until, you know, 25, 26, whatever it comes to look at it the same way that the lower leagues look at it. Then I don't think the open cups ever going to be the tournament that it really should be. Yeah, I, I agree. And so to segue, um, Obviously, Zlatan didn't play any of those at those Open Cup games. Um, to review the game against Cincinnati and just to know where Cincinnati was coming from, um, I mean, I obviously didn't feel sorry uh, beating them, uh, but I totally. What do you want to say? Well, Cincinnati's an interesting case here because yeah. fired a head coach in their first season MLS, fired yeah. an entire front office eight weeks into their inaugural season, which that's a bold statement. If you're doing that, and especially when you fire an inaugural kind of head office, I mean, if you look at, for example, what's been going on in Minnesota, like we're in year two or three of Minnesota and they still have the same head coach. A lot of the same decision makers are still in power. And then you look at Cincinnati who fired pretty much everyone who built that MLS ready roster. So Cincinnati presents kind of an interesting challenge. Going to Cincinnati is not necessarily a guaranteed thing anymore because Cincinnati kind of turned it around after doing all of that. No, I find it very interesting that a front office like Cincinnati in their first year in MLS basically said, yeah, we got it completely wrong coming into this league, which I mean, credit to them for, you know, admitting that, but also it's a bit of a concern, is it not? Um, Yeah, but they've got a, Really talented guy of the Dutch league as their new head coach. I uh, came from knock Breda, if I remember correctly. Um, he looks like he's going to be talented. They've stressed that they're going to get this head coaching higher, right? So they're taking their time. But Cincinnati, since that turn has looked pretty good. So going to Cincinnati was a bit of a tough test for the galaxy. It's a tough place to play. The atmosphere is good. I'll take a road win any, any day of the week. And considering the travel that the galaxy had, Flying up to Portland and flying back to LA yes. the day later, going to Cincinnati. I'll take a two no win. I will. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. And what's kind of crazy about the Galaxy right now is that they're actually doing pretty well on the road. It's at home <laughs> that they're struggling. Um, wasn't that the? Wasn't that not the Anolfo pro, uh, problem? Anolfo couldn't win at home, but he could win on the road. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm just gonna leave that there. So, um, but looking forward to Zlatan. Oh yeah, no, go for it. Looking forward to San Jose. I'm 
mm-hmm. intrigued by that game because there's a bit of history between Almeida and Shaloto anyway, both Argentine, mm-hmm. you know, club legends, mm-hmm. both very heady, aggressive kind of managers. I think it's gonna be very interesting to see because San Jose has been kind of the most improved team in MLS over the past eight weeks. I mean, you look at the way that they put down Houston midweek, it was impressive. And I mean, Houston generally not been a good road team under Wilmer Cabrera, but still a team that, you know, made the playoffs last year. Definitely a team that you talk about. They just, I mean, they made them look stupid at times in terms of the way that Almeida's man marking system kind of put them down. And I mean, Almeida has gotten the most out of Tommy Thompson. He's gotten the most out of a lot of players that everyone looked at that San Jose roster and said, if they can get a manager that can walk in, then this San Jose team is not as bad as we all think they are. And Almeida has done exactly that. He's got them to bought in or he's gotten them to buy into what he's doing. So I think it's going to be an interesting test for the galaxy. And I think it's going to be a big test for Shiloto in terms of how he manages that game. Yeah. And you know, like you just said, like San Jose is just not the same team that, that we knew anymore. You know what I mean? Like right now and in with the signing of Fierro and I don't think that we're screwed. Um, personally, I mean, I know that we'll still be missing some, some key players, um, you know, but I, I think, I mean, once again, it's a, it's a winnable game and we'll be at home. And I know like right now everybody's faith is, is shaken in that, but, but it is still, <laughs> we're going to be, oh, no, uh, we're going to be over there. You're right. We're going to be up in Stanford over there. You're right. Um, you're right. You're right. I don't know, but I don't know why I thought. Yeah, we're, we're playing over there. Just kidding. So, look, we're doing good on the road. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking about absences, Oriel Antuna is going to be a big mess considering how good of a goal cup yes. he's had so far. Yeah. Four goals, yeah. two assists. And I know some of those came against Cuba, but still, he's played fantastically in every goal cup match that I've, or the highlights I've been able to see because uh, mm-hmm. goal cup kicks off at a 2.30 here. And uh, I don't like necessarily stay up till two thirty to stay up till four thirty to watch a match. So, <laughs> but I've been watching the highlights. So, um, I thought you were an insomniac. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm an insomniac. Insomniac um, for soccer. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, San Jose is always, it's one of those rivalry games where you just kind of throw the book out in a certain respect, you know, like it's one of those games where Stanford stadium, so many weird things have happened. If you look at the galaxy's record in Stanford, I've watched games where we've blown a three, one lead, a two, one lead, a one nil lead. I, it's one of those games where you just kind of almost have to throw out any kind of proper preparation and just walk into the locker room and say, guys, this is a rivalry game. If you can't get up for it, then you shouldn't be on the field. And I think that's kind of yeah. the, the plan at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, cause what I was going to say about Zlatan is I understand his frustrations. Um, you know, they're, they're obviously, you know, visible on the pitch and, and he is, uh, an interesting character, legit put it, and he's gonna get his goals. And so, once again, though, I like you said, I want to see the other guys step step it up, especially since yeah, we'll be missing uh, key players. And I mean, I really, I really think that we could, we could go over there and like make an upset. At least that's what I really hope for. Um, I think this my, is going to- my official prediction though is a draw. Yeah. I think this what is going to be the game. Say? I think this is going to be the game where we really truly see what Fabio Alvarez brings to this team because I've been yeah. quietly impressed with what he's offered. And I think this is the type of game where he can grab it by the scruff, the scruff of his neck because in Almeida's man marking system, 
Fabio Alvarez loves to just drift into space and lose a marker here and there. And I think if he can lose the guys that are on him, then that's going to open up some overloads and stuff like that. And I think we're going to actually see a fantastic game from Fabio Alvarez. I'm going to take, Oh God, um, I'm awful with predictions. So uh, oh. I hey, look, I'm not any better. I'll be real honest right now. <laughs> I, I did had, predict that San Jose was going to be Houston, but you know, I had Thailand, the U S Thailand game. I had us winning three nil and we won 13 nil. So I'm going to hope that my, my fortune continues in that respect. Uh. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to take us winning two one. I think the U S or I think the LA galaxy have a little bit more individual quality. I think Ibrahimovic gets up for these kind of games. I think it's, I, I, I have us winning two one, but I, it's Stanford where things happen in Stanford. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, and like I said, I just, I, because San Jose has been winning. I hate that. Like I did, I do have them as, as a draw. I mean, if anything, I, I hope it's an interesting game. I'm tired of being bored when I'm watching, to be honest, like, I, you know, the galaxy, they used to perform some really pretty soccer, but then it didn't really matter how good they looked if they're not winning and scoring goals. And then in Cincy, they were winning, but I was so bored and I was like, this is just sad. And so I'm hoping that, yeah, that they'll, they'll get rattled a little bit. They'll still pull off the win, but the, they'll really come together and, and and like I keep saying, like show show us what they can do because I really I really know that I can see it. And you know, legit really just needs a goal to get his confidence back for real. Um, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think yeah, a road win in this league is worth its weight in gold. Um, so I I don't have a problem with necessarily playing not the most quote unquote beautiful soccer to win a road win, mm-hmm. but I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're second in the Western Conference. We're only five points back from LAFC at, this, at the time of recording. Yeah, it's not like the sky is falling, even though everyone thinks it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know they keep saying that like sports fans have short-term memory. It doesn't feel like it. I have to say. <laughs> oh yeah, we've we've had short-term memory for forever as Galaxy fans. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Even though it's like, yeah. hey, this is like shadow and weight of like last two seasons. Um, what do you just just? for just humor me here. What do you think about Zlatan signing on for next year? Do you think he will? I would have, I'd be surprised. I think, I think it's, I mean, 38 years old. He, he's, I'd be surprised. I think he's, especially with kind of the injury time he's missed where it's, it's minor stuff where it's like two games here, a game here, stuff like that. At that age, I think he's starting to realize his body is slowing down a little bit more than he wants it to be true. So I would be surprised. I'd also be surprised if the Galaxy were open to having him for another year, considering if you look at what could set up next season, the Pavone deal notwithstanding, assuming that that's not done until it's done, I can't imagine Austin Journey stays for another season. I think just injury-wise, yeah. Austin Journey has also kind of indicated that he's a bit homesick for France. Mm. You could also get a second designated player spot off the books. You could get so like you, you have two designated player spots with got a ton of cap room. I think the galaxy with a new front office that will have a full off season to play with those kind of those two spots. I couldn't imagine they'd look at slots on and say like, 
you know what, we, we could do another season. I think they'd say, you know what, we're grateful for the two seasons you gave us. You gave us two seasons of fantastic moments. We'll never forget. Yeah. I think it's time for you to head back to Sweden and retire with mama. I think that's kind of what they would say, but I, I, I mean, he's fantastic draw. He's, he's still kind of lives on that energy of surprising people yeah. and telling them they're wrong. So he could do another year, but I, I, I'd be surprised if it was with the galaxy. Uh, I see. Yeah. He's just not the same player. And, you know, obviously reading in the Twitter verse, like I, I understand that, you know, we, we see, they call us, you know, not just us, but in general, we're seeing like people will be like, Oh God, Zlatan just stands on the field and, you know, I need him to make more effort. And like, he shouldn't be wearing the captain's band and, you know, and then, you know, he does something amazing and then, or, you know, obviously he's Zlatan and everybody's just like, Oh, and the next second I love him and everything. So it is, it is. Yeah. So there's a fair comparison here to Robbie Keane when Robbie Keane was with the galaxy, which was that yeah. Robbie Keane would have his games where he did exactly what Zlatan did. But the whole interesting thing about what Robbie Keane did compared to Zlatan was when it was off the field, it wasn't Zlatan. It wasn't Robbie Keane saying, Oh, I am MLS. I am everything. I don't deserve to be here. Like I'm clearly too good for the league. It was Robbie Keane saying, all right, I realized today that I needed to do something for the team. I need to do better by the team mm-hmm. in this respect, stuff like that. It was Robbie was, necessarily like Robbie was the same level in terms of Zlatan when he came to the league. I mean, just guys that could change a match within five seconds. Mm-hmm. The only thing about Robbie was that Robbie was also very clear about the fact that he knew the constraints that he was working in. He knew the team that he had around him and he wanted to make the team better around him. I'm not necessarily sure Zlatan Ibrahimovic is not doing that. Yeah, I completely agree. I I was starting to see. I mean, early on when they were coming, when they were late coming back from the locker room and whatnot, like I just kind of thought, like, you know what? I think it's I think it's not helping. And you know, I really wasn't convinced when he first came here. You know, like I said, we've all, the Galaxy have always been. They've always had a star player. Uh, but it's been a one-man show since he's come on. And whereas, like, yeah, like you said, like when Beckham was here, when Keane was here, I feel like, yeah, like you said, they made they made it about the team. That's just what's missing here. Beckham Beckham was a one-man show for about four years. Let's not let's not. Oh no, yeah, straight this. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Beckham was a one-man show for. I mean, the no. Chelsea loans, the torn ACL with AC Milan. Let's yeah. not forget kind of where his history was. But I think Robbie Keane came in very clearly wanting to be a building block towards success on a team level. And I think Ibrahim, which came to MLS on a building block of wanting to be successful on a personal level. And I think that's a very important distinction. Absolutely. And thank you for that. All right. So finally, the whole reason that I think you went to Europe, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the entire reason I went to Europe. The entire reason you, you went to Europe. The U.S. women national team. And I say that with love in my heart because they are so refreshing uh, despite okay. some their problems and their holes and cracks and things and in, in, you know, what it, what it is as well. But, you know, nothing's perfect. But, you know, they're defending champions and really just watching the women shine, kick, kick butt and, you know, okay. Rapino hasn't really had a couple of good games. I know like Thailand 
wasn't really good. And then, um, against Spain, it was kind of rough. So, but I still, okay. And then like, we'll say it like Alex Morgan was like probably like overrated now. Um, Ooh, Ooh that's I know. Got some, that, that struck a nerve for me, but <laughs> well, I just speak from what I see as well from, from, from other people. So it's not necessarily my own opinion, but, um, yeah, uh, I'll let you take it away since you actually got to see them play live. Yeah. So what I've seen is a bit interesting and I, I've kind of discredited the group stage, uh, fairly because they played two teams at the group stage that a Thailand team that was clearly overmatched every team that played, um, and a Chile team that was riding a really successful goalkeeper to maybe hopefully get them enough points to get them through the group. The Sweden game was a bit weird because Sweden rotated pretty aggressively and the United States did not. However, the Sweden game, I think was a bit telling in the fact of how the United States wants to get at teams, which is stay wide, play everything through the wingers and either expect moments of individual one-on-one brilliance or, cross into mm-hmm. Alex Morgan or late trailing runs from the midfield. Now, what I think we saw against Spain is Spain looked at 2016, looked at that Olympic game against Spain or against uh, Sweden and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to abandon all of our traditional style of play, which was Spain was kind of adapting the same thing as the men's team, which was they were passing teams to death. However, they could not create chances to save their lives because they just didn't have the quality at center forward that was needed. So basically what Spain decided to do that game was, was really physical. I have to say, yeah. so Spain decided to sit back and basically ride that line of, all right, this is a foul, but it's not a yellow card foul. And we're just going to keep kicking into you. And we're just going to keep annoying the hell out of you. And at some point we're going to break you to the point where we get a goal out of it. The goal that Spain scored, um, was a bit of a, a, a moment of weakness in the back line, but um, Becky Sauerbrunn basically said like that mistake will never happen again. She emphasized that, you know, we live in pressure. We love for this kind of pressure, these kind of moments. She said, it's never going to happen again for me. She, she took all the blame herself, which is absolutely fantastic because a lot of the question moving into this tournament was goalkeeper. Listen there. And they are kind of, came out in her press conferences afterwards saying like, Oh, you know, I, I should have seen the field a little bit better. I shouldn't have, I should have been more aware to Sauerbrunn. Brun also took the blame on herself for not distributing quick enough in terms of that goal gave up. So that's been kind of the question moving into the week, uh, against France. Jill Ellis said, um, in a press conference on Alyssa Nair, she said, I don't think she's, uh, I don't think she's blinked a moment in this tournament. I think she's in a really good place right now. I think she's focused, which I mean, if your national team manager is saying that about a first-time goalkeeper in a major tournament, that's kind of a good place to be. But yeah, I think what we saw from Spain was just a team that realized individually it didn't want to compete one-on-one. So you know how you do that? You put a, you know you put ten people behind the ball, you play as a, co- a cohesive team, and you make it really difficult for a team that's got the better individual talent to exist. Um, I don't think we're going to see that against France. However, I think France believes they can go toe to toe with the United States on individual talent. I haven't seen anything from France that I disagree with that point, but I think it's going to be very interesting, uh, interesting to see uh, tomorrow over the 90 minutes and possibly 120, how the individual battles are going to be waged. Because I think especially uh, Megan Rapinoe and uh, Tobin Heath, those are my two big kind of question marks for tomorrow. 
um, considering that France loves their wingers as well. And I think the battle on the wings is going to be the one that if you're going to watch this game, that's going to be the game uh, from a tactical perspective that you want to watch uh, most importantly. And Carly Lloyd is still a sub. Well, that's the other question is, I mean, Alex Morgan got fouled 13 times against mm-hmm. Spain. She got beat up against Chile as well. I mean, she got pulled out at halftime against Chile because, or um, against Sweden, I apologize, mm-hmm. because of the concern that she was just getting beaten to hell and back. So there's two ways you can look at it. You can look at the fact that well, Alex Morgan hasn't scored a ton of goals, but she's doing this work that no forward goes into the game wanting to do. And she's done it pretty much quietly and you know, she hasn't complained much, but she doesn't have, and I hate using a term. It was, it was used by Jurgen Klinsmann for the longest time throughout the U S men's national team where he's like, Oh, we need to get nastier. She doesn't have that nastiness factor. She's she'll take the fouls. Fine. It's, you know, no problem to her. But when it comes to those one-on-one battles, she's not going to throw an elbow. She's not going to unsettle the defender. Cause it's just not in her game. It's not who she is. So then, that's kind of the first big starting 11 question we have coming in tomorrow, which is Francis two center backs are really physical players. Um, I mean, Wendy Renard is kind of the big showpiece of this French team um, outside of uh, Le Sommeur and um, Henri, but Wendy Renard's kind of been their, I guess, spiritual. I mean, she's the captain of the team, but she's kind of also been their spiritual leader as well. She had a bit of an indifferent group stage, I will fully admit. She also had a bit of a shocker in the round of 16 at times against Brazil. But Wendy Renard and uh, Bothy, I apologize to anyone who's French and listening to this that I'm destroying names, but it's, I don't speak French. So, Neither uh, do I. Took it for only three months in high school. <laughs> but Renard and Bothy are incredibly physical center backs. And so, again, comes this question of, well, Alex Morgan's going to have to eat another, you know, 10 fouls in this game. Mm. Or do you send in Carly Lloyd, who's going to, you know, she's going to be a little bit nasty. Like she'll throw an elbow in there here and there. And defenders. but you know, you question a 36 year old playing that for 90 minutes, maybe 120. So that's kind of the oh. first big question in this roster right now is, you know, who do you send against those center backs? Personally, I send Morgan. I think Morgan's had a very good tournament. So far, I think having Carly Lloyd off the bench offers something that no other team can replicate, which mm-hmm. is just a skill, a skill level and experience level in intense moments that not a lot of other teams can really call upon in high stress moments. But again, it, it is a bit of a question in terms of that starting 11 where, you know, does Jill go a little bit earlier to the bench versus than what she did against Spain? Yeah, and what about Lavelle? Uh, Lavelle, I, mean, I thought Lavelle's been, I mean, if, if you had to pick a quiet golden ball winner for this tournament in terms of just impact for a national team, Rose Lavelle's up there for me. I mean, she's mm-hmm. had fantastic games. Rose Lavelle will be one of those midfielders who, she's not necessarily going to be the one that you point to every single play and say, that's Rose Lavelle. She's so fantastic, but it's just the moments where she can pick out a pass. And there was a moment against Spain. I can't remember the minute. And she, she got on the ball and picked a 50 yard wide ball out to make it Rapino all alone on the, on the wing. Just no one was going to see that pass split four defenders took five defenders out of the play and arguably Mega Rapino should have done better with the ball. But that's the kind mm. of 
play that you get from Rose Lavelle, which is there's just moments of individual brilliance that spring an attack. And so I think Rose Lavelle is important to this team because if you push everything through the wings, well, I mean, the play, the way to do that is just basically, okay, we're going to play you heavy wide and then force you to pass through us. Rose Lavelle is that answer where Rose Lavelle will find that one pass where it's just like, okay, you want, you want me to take out five defenders on a pass? I can do that. That's what Rose Lavelle does so incredibly well. Um, so I think she's definitely going to be a critical part of what we, if we're to win tomorrow, Rose Lavelle is going to be an absolutely critical part of how it goes on the field. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think Jill Ellis is a, a lucky coach, not just, you know, how things have been rolling, but also because of the, of the team she has. I mean, this, this roster really does have depth and, and my confidence was a little shaken the last game just because it was only PKs um, that they scored on. And, and because it, it like Spain really gave them a run for their money. But Spain um, well, was like the you first said, test. it was physical. Yeah. Spain was the first test we had. If you look at what happened in January, the United States only beat Spain by one nil in Spain. I mean, it was a tight match. It was kind of the same sort of experience where the United States really, you know, maybe didn't hit top gear, but they played a team that was determined, was, you know, wanting to get at the United States and saying, you know, we're at the same level as you are. And the United States only managed a one no win and didn't really control the game. But those are the kind of games where the experience that I think this roster group went through, especially in the January camp where they yeah. lost to France three, one in La Harve, but they also beat Spain one nil mm-hmm. in Spain. Those are those kind of matches where this team was kind of forged through everything. And I mean, Spain was ranked 11th in the world. I mean, they played Sweden, who was supposed to be the first test, but Sweden rotated eight players. Yeah. So they didn't really necessarily play Sweden at their at their top. They played a Spain side that was kind of their first big test, and they got through it. You know, and it, it didn't have to be pretty. It, it did. Didn't fantastic, but it's a World Cup. Survive in advance. That's all you have to do. And that's what yeah. they did. You know, yeah. they, and they, got a, they got a passing cool. grade. They did. They did. You're absolutely right. <laughs> the teacher can appreciate that. Um, the VAR. <laughs> it's, uh, ruining, it's ruining soccer. <laughs> I know. It's. I know. I mean, I'm saying it's ruining soccer. Uh, I think it's specifically it's, like this. It's a poorly written rule that VAR is administering to the letter of the law in terms of the goalkeeper role. Mm. And it's. It's. I think VAR is kind of quietly been good on that front is that we're looking at laws and the laws of the game where we're saying, is that really written to a level where in today's game, it actually, you know, can be effective and like is a good law of the game. And I think we're going to get these growing pains, especially with VR where it's like, we're, it's yeah. going to, it's not necessarily going to shed a light on refereeing. It's going to shed a light on the laws of the game and how we need to change and, and move them. Yeah. Well, should we win tomorrow? We advance and face England in the semifinal. England's fantastic tonight against a Norway team that looked a little bit flat. Yeah. Um, it was a it was a bit strange to see a Norway team that had been so impressive defensively look that. I agree. That flat footed. Um, but I mean, hey, like, what's going to happen tomorrow could be an absolute watershed moment for U.S. soccer. I mean, it's going to be a game that I. I look at and I said that, I mean, this could be one of the greatest games ever in a world cup tournament for women's. 
talking about I, I, mm-hmm. you're talking about two of the most talented teams in the world right now um, there's storylines that abound in pretty much every level of this game um, I mean the US Women's National Team are they going to match the potential are they going to finally hit what we think is going to be top gear because um, I don't think they've really necessarily done it this tournament you know and then you look at the French team I mean there's so many players on this French team that have come so close at so many international tournaments and just faltered on the major stage. Is this the time where that mentality comes together? Do you look at the French coach, um, the French manager, uh, Jacques, who she came out and she says there's, there's pressure against the United States. It's impossible to have any pressure playing in Paris, playing against the United States. In fact, it is added motivation for us. So they've been kind of sounding the alarm bells, which is saying, Oh, there's no pressure on our, on our team for the first time ever. Um, actually Jacques, Diacre, I apologize. Um, she's a fantastically interesting story. She coached in the men's second division in France uh, with Clermont Foot, um, and basically it was asked by her players not to take the women's national job because they loved her so much. So, mm-hmm. kind of a very interesting character in and of herself. That's a, also another storyline that I think people should pick up on. Um, but I will offer this as kind of a, a final unsettling point. But uh, in the last three games against France, uh, the United States has lost two and only drawn one game. Um, and they'll be playing in the Parc de Prince, which is, uh, as uh, Brazilian Ronaldo said, was the toughest stadium he's ever played in. So sure. it should be very interesting. But I think the way that they struggled against Brazil and I mean, man, uh, after that Brazil game, L'Equipe, which is the sports daily here in, uh, or I guess they're in France. I'm not there right now, but I will be, um, came out and said, oh, the United States must have felt like they were getting a second helping of dessert watching this team against Brazil. So there is some mm-hmm. concern in the French camp about how France has played and how France has looked. And they've gotten some very interesting VAR calls, I will say, which I think, and I, I said it before the tournament, I said, they're World Cup hosts. They're going to get those 50-50 calls. They're going to get those weird calls yeah, that are. just don't make sense. Um, the World Cup hosts, I mean, if you look at what happened in the South Korean-Japan World Cup in 2002, there was no... South Korea had no business making it as far as it did. Yeah. But they just kept getting calls. Um, but I think it's going to be... I think it's going to be one of the greatest matches that a Women's World Cup has ever seen, and I think it's going to be one of the greatest matches that a World Cup has ever seen. I mean, Megan Rapinoe came out in the media on on after the Spain match where he said, I hope it's an absolute circus. I want it to be crazy. I want it to be insane, which I think favors the United States much more over France personally. Um, yes. I mean, Megan Rapinoe said about, uh, you know, Trump's comments and, you know, that's a whole nother yellow brick road of absolute insanity. Um, but she said the backlash will, uh, won't destabilize the team. She said, I've never felt, more united in a locker room than I've ever felt walking into this one. So I think the United States is kind of playing on trying to get as, as chaotic as possible in the lead in in order to kind of destabilize France a little bit. So I think it's going to be, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. And I, I, I cannot wait. I, I honestly cannot. Yeah. Same. I'm excited. I'm, I'm also recording the game because I teach and have like a mini graduation tomorrow with the, with the students. So yeah, I'm they're probably going to get to watch the, the second half there <laughs> I think live. Yeah. If I have to pick one critical issue tomorrow in terms of the way that 
who wins this game. It's going to be out in the wings. I think whoever can play the wings better definitely has the shot at winning this. Um, I mean, if you look at the way that Brazil kind of unpinned France every single time they got, it was from the wings. And so if the United States can play very well in the wings, I think that the United States has a very good shot of winning this pretty easily. Now, if they do what I expect them to do, which is hit crystal Dunn pretty hard as a pseudo left back mm. the way that she's playing. Mm-hmm. It could be a very long day for the United States, but I think if the United States can manage the wings well, then I think they have a very good shot at, at taking care of business decently easy. I agree. Well, thank you so much. Uh, do we cover all of our Pinos? I think that we wanted I'm to gonna- say. If we're, sti- if we're sticking to Simply Soccer, then I'm more than happy to have covered it the way that I did. <laughs> same, same. Well, thank you so much, Chris, and, and taking your time. What time is it in Amsterdam now? <laughs> it is currently now 3.23, but I have an exciting day of laundry ahead tomorrow, so I can't wait to sleep in. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then and then the game. So, yep. all right. Uh, definitely we'll keep in touch, and, and we'll see what happens. Of course. Thanks, That'll everybody, be- for listening. Yeah. I will be more than happy uh, to talk more about it if we either either a postmortem or a post joyfulness. I don't know what the, you know on that is. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I know we'll have to see. We'll have to see because um, man, if 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 the U.S. men and the U.S. women can make it to the final, like July seventh is going to be wild. <laughs> Should move July 4th, July 7th on that day then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> Just yeah, exactly. the <laughs> All right, Chris, thanks so much. And thank Cheers, you, everybody, man. for listening. And, uh, yeah, stay tuned for the next episode. So thank you guys later. Mm-hmm.